0: Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Renee Brown is... Anthropologist who has done a lot of work around the concept of shame. And so I thought it might be helpful for us to just start with her definition. And she says um, the, the difference between guilt and shame is really, really important. Because while guilt is the feeling that we've done something bad, shame is the feeling that we are bad. And when we talk about shame in our culture, we can see those. Myriad of definitions and as well, right? Um, in the Bible, we can see that too. There are all these definitions for shame. In the Bible, sometimes the word shame does lean more toward that guilt definition that we did something bad. For example, um in First Corinthians, Paul is kind of reprimanding that church because they're getting to, into all this conflict with one another, and so he's kind of chastising them, and he says, I say this to shame you. In other words, this kind of shame is necessary because it drives us to the mercy of God. And the gospel tells us that we can confess that kind of shame and we can receive forgiveness from Christ Jesus through his cross. But I want to take the definition of shame as that feeling that we are bad and kind of work off of that definition today. So as long as we're on the same page about what kind of shame I'm talking about, I think that will be really helpful for all of us. There's been all this research done on shame, in the past years, by Brene Brown and by others, um, here's one example that I ran across in psychology today. And it's a study about a mother and her baby, and it's been done with all these moms and babies. And this scene plays out almost exactly the same way every single time. So picture this. Baby is sitting in his, uh, his high chair in the kitchen, and mom leaves the room for just a moment. And when he hears mom returning, he hears her footsteps, and he anticipates making joyful eye contact with her. My mom's back. She's going to look at me, and we're going to have this great connection. But this time, mom walks back into the room, and she's preoccupied. Her mind's on something else, and so she doesn't look at her baby. And over and over again in the study, they saw the same things. Um, When she didn't make eye contact, the baby... His, the muscles in his neck kind of lose their strength and his head drops down and he may, might even turn his face away from mom and he might even start to drool. This is shame. This is humiliation. And You know, for all of you moms who just heard that, you're probably also feeling like a great amount of shame. So sorry to mom shame here at the very beginning. But I I read that and I was like, oh gosh, how many times have I done that with my babies? But the point is that shame sets in really early. It's part of being human in in this broken world that we're living in. But it's not the way it should be. And it's not the way it will be. Whether our shame is the result of, you know, us trying to make that connection with that other person that we really need and them not returning it, or whether it's the result of some sin that we've done or a sin that's been done against us by someone else, by a group of people, through words, through beliefs, through actions, or whether it's from something that we can't even control, something in our bodies, a sickness, infertility, we all carry shame. And maybe you connect with one of those types of shame more, um, more powerfully than another. Um, maybe you feel shame in a really, really big way or in just a small way. Um, maybe you just resonate with that phrase that I said I am bad. At my core, I am bad. And maybe you're even ashamed of your shame. But today, I want to bring good news about our shame, because Jesus offers wholeness and he offers healing for the ashamed. So my word this morning just has two really simple points. And then we're going to look at two Bible stories around those points. So the first point is this, shame hides and divides. And the second point is, Jesus comes to find and dignify. So shame hides and divides. Let's look at our Genesis 3 passage together. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open it. If you're looking at the seat Bibles, it's going to be really easy to find because it's on page 5. It's right there in the beginning. So go ahead and open to that. So God has just created Adam and Eve to live together in the Garden of Eden, this paradise. This passage is typically called um, the fall of man, or the fall of humanity, and that's not a biblical term, but the early church gave us that term to kind of describe Adam and Eve falling from the perfection and the goodness that God had given them in the garden and falling, descending into sin. And with Adam and Eve, we all go with them into the fall. And the fall is seen as the culprit of all sin and all death and all war and all disease and all shame. But to really understand this passage, we actually have to go back to Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve are created to, together, as man and woman, fully reflect the beautiful nature of God. And because of that, they can be fully open with one another. The last verse in chapter 2 says, Adam and his wife were both naked And they felt no shame. And because of that, there was this union and this communion and this deep connection with God and with one another. Um, Before the fall, before the curse that they experienced, they are completely fulfilled in God's love for them, in their love for their Creator, and in their love for one another. This backtracking here is really important because what it tells us is that shame isn't part of God's original intent for us. We talked about anxiety last week, and Trevor told us the truth, that anxiety is not going with us into heaven. And shame is the same way. We may feel it now. It may have been there in the beginning On page five of the Bible, but it's not going to be there at the end. Thanks be to God. So, okay, everything in the garden is fantastic, but just like that study that I shared at the beginning of that baby feeling shame, shame here really quickly kind of slithers its way into the scene. The serpent tells Adam and Eve that what God gave them as abundance, is actually scarcity. Because remember, God literally gave them every tree in the garden except one. But the serpent twists that and he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What he's doing here is he's turning the freedom that God had given to them. He's twisting it into restriction. And the enemy loves to do this to us. And then Eve buys it. It says, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, there's this direct correlation between Adam and Eve's sin and their shame. They eat, from, they eat from the tree they're not supposed to eat from, and boom, shame. Their eyes are opened. They realize that they're naked. They cover themselves. They hide. They run from God. Adam and Eve, uh, hiding from the creator of the universe has always been a little bit funny to me. Uh, reading this story, it kind of reminds me of when we play hide and seek with our two-year-old and we tell him to go hide and then we come looking for him and he's got his body like half in a closet, but then the other half of his body is just fully visible. And my older kids are like, um, Gus, we can, we can see you. <laughs> And he doesn't care because he doesn't know what's happening. But that's kind of what Adam and Eve are doing here, right? God is going to find them. God's like, I did create this garden. I know every rock. I know every tree. I know every hiding place. But he comes looking for them. And what we have to remember is that shame isn't logical here. So the fact that they're hiding from God doesn't, and they don't really get that, he's going to find them, that happens to us too. Shame isn't logical, and it always makes us want to hide from God and from each other. Shame tells you that that thing that you did, nobody is ever going to forgive you for. Shame tells you that that person that you tried to connect with and they didn't respond back even when you really, really needed them to a mom or a dad or a spouse or a friend, it tells you that's actually your fault. And you better bury that desire for connection so deep down so it never comes back up again. Because if it does, you're gonna get rejected again. Shame tells us to hide, tells us to hide, tells us to hide. And it also divides us from God and from one another. It puts up this barrier God comes looking for Adam and Eve, and he asks, where are you? And the man says, I heard you, but I was afraid, so I hid. And then God asks him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I told you not to eat from? And Adam kind of looks around, and what's his first response? He's like, "It it was her. It was her. She made me do it. Um, at this point, I also kind of think of Adam and Eve like children, kind of like brother and sister. Like, she, she made me do it. It's her fault. More like brother and sister than like husband and wife. Um, because here's Adam feeling, he's feeling this immense amount of guilt and shame for what he's done and what he's passively allowed to go down. Remember, it says he was standing right next to Eve when this happened but in his own shame for what he's feeling, his guilt for what he's feeling, what does he do? He, he heaps more shame on Eve. And not, do, not only does he do that, not only does he try to shift the blame to Eve, but he also tries to shift the blame to God. He says, um, that woman who you gave me, by the way, gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. I just envision Eve here going, uh, yeah, our honeymoon is now over. Maybe, uh, maybe you've heard a sermon on this passage before. And maybe that's led you to believe that this is really all Eve's fault. I think that's kind of a common misperception of this passage. And I want to be really clear That's a really poor understanding of this passage. And whether Trevor was preaching this as a man or me as a woman preaching this, we're both going to say the same thing. Both Adam and Eve believed the serpent. They both acted on it. They both experienced shame. But now, because of Adam just throwing Eve under the bus and blaming her, Eve's own shame is now multiplied. It's compounded. Shame leads to blame. And of course, right, Eve does this too. She shifts the blame as well. She she blames it on the serpent. So they both do it. But now, although their sin may be at the same level, Adam has now tipped the scales and Eve is now carrying more of the weight of shame. You know, men and women... Both carry shame. But now, and you can see the beginning of this in this story, women carry shame in a really distinct and powerful way. Because shame is crafty. Describes the serpent serpent as crafty, shame is crafty too. It weaves this compelling narrative, these lies about ourselves. Shame always wants to separate us from God and from each other. It wants to tell us that hiding is the best way to live. It's the only way to live. It's survival. Shame puts up a wall. It twists the truth about who we are, and it twists the truth about the people around us. But now I want to turn our eyes to another story about a man and a woman. Let's turn to John 4 our gospel passage. Um, If you're looking in the seat Bible, I believe it's page 1349. And this is where we see that while shame hides and divides, Jesus comes to find and dignify. So the Samaritan woman at the well, there is so much shame here in this story, so much there are these deep layers of shame. I think kind of the first layer that we see is that she's feeling shame because of what she's done. It says she's had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. Some of the shame we can probably assume is from what's been done against her. Um, I don't think she had five husbands simply because she was a woman of loose morals. I think a lot of that had to do with financial desperation for a woman in this culture. And who knows what kind of conditions she put up with just to survive. Who knows what was going on in those marriages, in those households. And as a woman, just like Eve, this woman is shouldering a lot of that shame. Some of her shame comes from simply who she is, something she can't even control. She's a Samaritan, and Jesus is a Jew. And in that culture, those two religious groups interacting was just a big cultural taboo. And I don't want to get into this too much, but this is at play here, and there's a very distinct kind of cultural shame when one oppressive system in power is over another people group. And so you you see that at play here. You see that dynamic. So there are all these layers of her shame and what she's feeling. And Jesus comes and he, he hits all of those head on. We can see her shame here because she's coming to the well in the middle of the day, which is the hottest part, not when most people come to the well, which means she's trying to avoid the stares and the gossip of the people in her village. She's like, I just want to get there. I want to get my water, and then I want to get out of there. I don't want anyone to see me. She's hiding. And in her hiding, she's also completely divided from those around her. She's divided from God. But Jesus comes, and he draws her out of hiding. I love that Jesus is so gentle in this passage, but he's also really, really direct. He knows her cause for shame, and he names it. She says, I have no husband. She's open with that. And Jesus says, I know, and let me tell you the rest of your story. She later tells others, he told me everything I ever did. In other words, he told me everything I ever did, and he still said he wanted to be with me. He still gave me the dignity of being fully known and fully loved anyway. I read this story in the Seattle Times. The first sentence of the article is A man who allegedly squatted in the attic of a Pennsylvania family's home over Christmas and helped himself to their belongings is, quote, sorry and upset it happened, his lawyer said Monday. There was this guy, I think this was back in 2008, 2009, 21 um, year old Stanley Carter. He was found living in the attic of this family. He was squatting there. Um, and apparently he had been there for days. Uh, he decided to help himself to the family's laptop so he could keep up with email and Facebook correspondences. Um, he stole food. He stole cash. And strangely enough, even Christmas presents? Uh, he, this was really weird. Um, he was... Uh, To give him some credit, though, old Stanley, Uh, he was a very meticulous thief. He tracked everything he took on a list, and then he called that list Stanley's Christmas list. He was, I guess, kind of like a reverse Santa Claus then, (laughs) making his own list. I just thought that was kind of funny and also super creepy. Um, But shame is like that. Shame is a squatter in your life. It doesn't belong there. It's not paying rent, but it's taking from you. It's sucking resources from you and life from you, and it's little by little is one thing at a time, so incrementally that you don't even notice what's happening. See, shame grows and it festers in the dark. It loves darkness. But Jesus is here to coax it out into the light. He's here to draw us out into the light of his presence. He's here to find us. He's here to root out our shame. He's here to give us dignity in return. That's what he does for the Samaritan woman. You know, I, I was just trying to think this week What's the opposite of shame? And looking at some internet research, it's like, oh, pride is the opposite of shame, or acceptance is the opposite of shame. I think, though, based on this story, dignity is the opposite of shame. That's what he's doing here. He's taking that shame that she has, and he's giving her dignity. He can do that for you. He's here to restore the dignity of relationship that was lost in the garden. See, in the garden, God walks in the cool of the day to find a woman and man in hiding. But at the well, God comes as a man in the heat of the day to find a woman in hiding. In the garden, God has to ask, Where are you? But at the well, the ashamed is the one who asks the where question. She says, where can I get this living water? In the garden, Adam and Eve point the finger of blame. But at the well, the woman doesn't try to pass off blame. She's so tired of hiding. In the garden, Adam and Eve are divided in their shame, and then they are cursed by even more division between them. But at the well, the woman is restored to connection and union. She comes clean and then is washed clean by the living water Jesus gives her. Jesus can and will take the ashes of your shame, and give you beauty if you give him your shame. He will, as our psalm says, redeem your life from the pit, from the fall, and crown you with love and compassion. Because Jesus knows everything you've ever done Jesus knows everything that's been done against you, that's been said against you, that's been believed against you. Jesus knows every shame that lurks in the dark corners of your heart. He knows it all. And he says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I won't reject you. In fact, I will be rejected for you. Our psalm also says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions, your shame from you. As far as the east from the west, Jesus' arms outstretched for you, for your shame. Shame wants to separate us from God. But God came to separate us from our shame. There is no condemnation. There is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt may tell you, you did something bad. And shame may tell you, you are bad. But the gospel tells us, you have done bad things. And bad things have been done to you. But I created you good. And I created you to be in relationship with me. I created you to know my love. There's hope. There's hope for the Samaritan woman. There's hope for me. There is hope for you. And there's even hope for Adam and Eve. They are fallen. They are bruised. They're ashamed. But there is hope for them. Because what does God do? He goes looking for them, He comes to them, He draws them out of hiding. And even through their profound shame, through that curse that promises even more division between man and woman and God, there is hope. Adam and Eve are cursed, but the serpent, the source of all shame, he is cursed too. And that curse says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who's this talking about? Well, it's, it's all of us. It's humanity. We are all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. But ultimately, that offspring that's going to come from Eve, that's Jesus, right? And we can't, we can't miss that. We can't leave Adam and Eve alone in their shame because Jesus doesn't do that. Um, Ryan, would you be able to put up the the image there? Um, This is a depiction that has been um, created over and over again throughout church history as as an icon and as as art. Um, And it goes back thousands of years and for those listening on the podcast, I'm just going to uh, uh, describe it for a minute. But Jesus is there. He's with a great cloud of witnesses. He's in heaven, and he's got his hands outstretched. And in each hand, he's grabbing the hands of Adam and Eve, and they are—they're um, in their tombs. They're in their coffins. And he's pulling them up and he's pulling them out of their coffins. And he's promising that he will raise them at the resurrection. And he promises that for each one of us, even their shame is redeemed and restored. Because from the ashamed will come the Savior. From Eve. And many, many generations later, through stories of struggle and glory and a lot and a lot of shame, that Savior will sit by a well with a Samaritan woman. He will give her living water. And then he will go to the cross and he will defeat shame forever. He will defeat it for Adam. He will defeat it for Eve. He will defeat it for the Samaritan woman. And he will defeat it for all of us who call on his name to save us. I'd just like to go into a brief time of prayer. Trevor, would you jump up and join me? Um, At the beginning, I asked you all in a really general way to think of one big or small way that you feel like you've believed the lie of shame whether that's something that's been done against you, something that you've done, maybe even something that you have confessed and received forgiveness for, but you don't feel like you are receiving that forgiveness fully because you still carry and bear the weight of the shame from that thing. Um, Maybe you're ashamed that you feel shame and you don't know what to do with that. Maybe it's uh, from something you can't control. I just want us all, um, if you feel comfortable, just close your eyes and um, just lift out your hands. Just hold them out in front of you. And if you're able in your imagination Would you hold that shameful lie, that shameful thing, that shameful memory in your hands? Some of you feel like, I can do that, I can see that, I can see that thing there. Some of you go, I I don't, I don't feel shame. Some of you are going, "I, I can't. I can't do that. That thing is too big. I can't hold that. And that's okay. But if you're able, hold that thing in your hands. Hold that shame in your hands. Just sit with that. Now, I I just want you to imagine one of the two places in these Bible stories that we talked about this morning. Picture yourself in the garden or picture yourself at the well with Jesus. Because God is there in both of those. God comes looking for you in both of those places. And then I want you to picture that the Lord is coming to you, that Jesus is coming to you, and he's seeing what you're carrying in your hands. And he's going, are you ready to give that to me? I want to take it from you. And if you're ready right now, either physically doing it or just in your imagination, I just want you to lift up your hands and offer that to him. And if you're not ready to do that, if, if it's too painful to do that, that's okay, Jesus is patient. And if you need to do that later, praying with a prayer minister after the service, praying this afternoon with a pastor. You can do that then too, if you need help doing that. Jesus wants to give you the dignity of relationship with him. He says, you can come out of hiding. He says, I came to find you. as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions so far has he removed our shame from us thanks for listening to this podcast from city of light anglican church we'd love to hear from you You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.